A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. I am Ross Tucker, your solo host for this episode, which is a bonus episode and a short episode. I promise this will be a record-breaking short episode for you. And really, I just wanted to come on to basically wrap up the year uh, and also to share with you a few thoughts on the big sports controversy, the latest iteration of the controversial issue around transgender women in women's sport, and that's the swimmer Leah Thomas. Let me get onto that in a moment. I, I did just want to say that I had every intention of wrapping the year up in fact, with a, a really nice pair of podcasts, initially they were going to be on the science of ultra-endurance competition and sport. We had a really cool guest lined up, Jim Walmsley, who's an ultra-endurance runner, who was here in Cape Town and who won the 100-kilometer ultra-trail Cape Town event. And we were going to sit down with him and pick his brains about his training, his fuel, all the things that he does to be an ultra-endurance champion. And then, unfortunately, COVID hit, specifically uh, the Omicron variant, which we all now know about. And Jim had to get out of here because uh, all the countries in the world were putting us on their red list and banning us from travel. So that, unfortunately, cost us that interview. And then the plan was to, to do, instead do a, a big episode on the science of ultra-endurance and talk about all the fascinating topics that ultra-endurance sport throws up. For instance, fuel requirements. Uh, neuromuscular fatigue and muscle damage and how we pace ourselves, the emotional and cognitive elements of ultra-endurance, really amazing topics. And so I spent a lot of the last um, week or two reading up on those. And then for various reasons, uh, that podcast also hasn't come off. And so it leaves me uh, frustrated for what it's worth. Um, I really would love in 2022 to deliver these podcasts more frequently. And I'm thinking hard about how to get that right. I, 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 so I wanted to wrap up 2021 on the negative note of apologizing for the irregular cadence and commit that I would like very much to do better for you in the future, especially those of you who are patrons. Thank you once again for your support and please be assured I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out now at the moment, how to do this a little bit better. However, what I wanted to share with you today is a brief set of thoughts on the latest iteration, and it has to be said, the inevitable iteration of this transgender woman in sport controversy. This is a subject you would know we've covered quite extensively on this podcast, to a fault perhaps. I sometimes, um, well not sometimes, I often, I often, I don't regret covering it because it's important and it matters and it's interesting, and so as long as it's around, I will not uh, miss the opportunity to comment on it. I think it needs accurate commentary. But I will say that I, I know there are so many other fascinating sports science stories. The application of science to sports performance and health is vast, and this subject seems to detract from that and divert from that, and I wish that that wasn't the case. So I, I hope you can see those two things can coexist. Perhaps 
if this continues, the podcast in 2022, I'm going to commit to doing more of the other stuff. I'm certainly not going to do less on this because, as I say, it matters to me and to many other people. But at least if I can do more of the other stuff, the proportion might change. And so that'll be at least something good. Nevertheless, there is a big story now, and it's going to be bigger in the first quarter of 2022. And that's the performances of one Leah Thomas, who swims out of the University of Pennsylvania. And a couple of years ago, was swimming as Will Thomas. So biologically male, has now reassigned and re-identified as a woman. And is able, thanks to the policies that were created some 10, 15 years ago and recently doubled down upon remarkably by the International Olympic Committee, is able to enter women's events having suppressed testosterone for at least 12 months. Now, predictably, and you'll know this because if you followed, you understand the science, Leah Thomas is performing at a level that is pretty similar to what Will Thomas used to perform at in the men's events. So there's been some slowing down. I'll give you those numbers in a moment. But this happens because, as we know, you cannot simply reverse and undo the biological effects of testosterone during human development. And so what testosterone does in the body is it gives males attributes like increased muscle mass and strength, changes the shape of the skeleton, increased heart and lungs, more hemoglobin, and those effects are not simply undone or unwound by the suppression of testosterone. The result is that a performance advantage is retained. And so where the male versus female difference, for instance, in muscle strength might be between 30 and 50%, after a period of testosterone suppression, only about 5% of that is taken away. So it's impossible to conclude anything other than that, that transgender women retain a significant proportion of those biological advantages and thus performance advantages. And it was on that basis that some sports, World Rugby being one of them, and also the UK Sports Council, recognized that you cannot facilitate inclusion of trans women in women's sport while also guaranteeing fairness and in some sports safety to the biological females who participate in the women's sports category. Those imperatives are mutually exclusive. The premise for many years within the International Olympic Committee and hence the NCAA is that you can achieve a balance between those. And so you can ensure fairness to females, women, by suppressing the testosterone in males sufficiently to take that advantage away. We know that that doesn't work. There is not a single well-conducted longitudinal study that even hints that this can be done. And so therefore you would make the prediction that at some point, a biological male with sufficient athleticism will enter women's sport and be able to retain enough advantage that they can then leverage or parlay into the dominance of women's sport. Now, for the last two years, I and many others have repeatedly been told, if it's true that transgender women retain advantage, then where are the champions? Why are these athletes not on the podiums, winning medals, breaking records? claiming places in national teams and at Olympic Games? Well, a few reasons, but primary among them is that you still have to have a relatively high base of athletic capability in order for the retention of advantage to translate into dominance in women's sport. Because women's, women athletes, in this case of Thomas, swimmers, are not so inferior that any old male can go and beat them. The very best women athletes in the world are exceptional 
athletic humans. So you have to come into that category as a relatively good or athletic male in order for your retention of advantage, whether that be 90% of the advantage or 50, to be translatable into dominating that new category, in that new category. Now, simply by volume, we had not seen that up to this point. We'd seen a couple of Masters athletes winning world titles, like Veronica Ivey. We saw at the Olympic Games, Laurel Hubbard, who in her 40s became an Olympic weightlifter in a sport where performance peaks in the 20s. So that alone should have said, okay, there's an advantage here. But a 40-year-old, and I use the word under advisement, relatively mediocre weightlifter as a male, is not good enough to dominate women's sport. That does not tell you about the advantage or no advantage. It simply tells you that the athlete at base was not really good enough. Well, now, maybe for one of the first occasions on a big stage, we are seeing what may happen when an athlete whose base level is high enough as a male makes the transition into women's sport and retains a significant portion of that advantage. And that person potentially is Leah Thomas. So Leah Thomas, you may know, you presumably have read or heard about this in the last two weeks, is breaking records in the Ivy League NCAA swimming competitions. That's not the top, top level. That comes next year when they swim at the national level at the NCAA championships. And if Leah Thomas continues to improve at even slightly the same trajectory as has happened in the last few weeks, then those American records, which are held by iconic women swimmers like Missy Franklin and Katie Ledecky, are under real threat from Leah Thomas. And at that point, we will see the inevitable outcome of the obvious scientific and biological principles around male-female performance and how testosterone does not remove advantages. So Will Thomas, which I mentioned to you earlier, was, the, was Leah Thomas prior to transition, was swimming only 2.5% faster over 200 yards than Leah Thomas has swum this year. Over the 500, it's 5.9%, the performance decrement since the transition and the hormone suppression, and over 1650 yards, it's 7.3%. Now, remember the male-female gap is between 10 and 13% in swimming. And so those numbers, 2.6% slower, 5.9 and 7.3, are indications that much of the advantage has been retained. The solution that was offered to create fairness in women's sport does not work. And so Leah Thomas's performances are benefiting from male biological attributes that are unavailable to every other athlete, swimmer, that Leah Thomas swims against. That's the problem here. Now, unless Leah Thomas messes up her training plan, she is going to break at least one of those three records at the NCAAs because most swimmers will get quite a bit faster between December and March. There's a realistic chance that Leah Thomas becomes an NCAA champion. I had a look at the last five years worth of the NCAA champs and the times that Leah Thomas is swimming now would have given her a podium slot at every single one of those. So the, the podium seems, seems inevitable and potentially winning it seems like a real possibility in one if not more of those events. This therefore becomes the highest profile case yet of what happens when sport lawyers maybe, but certainly administrators, nudged often by scientists with 
either poor or biased understanding and application of research, fail to protect the rights of women to have a protected sports category. There is more than enough research evidence that would have led sports or enabled sports to make a different decision around these policies. They've had opportunities in the last two years as more evidence has emerged, and yet they haven't done that. And so this is the predictable, frustrating outcome of that negligence slash uh, deliberate, <laughs> I'm hesitant to say, but I think in some instances it is, handover of sports policy to people who are effectively advocates for themselves. That's what's happened here. The latest IOC policy, I've no doubt in my mind that the IOC effectively outsourced that to advocacy groups and included in it people who are very clearly in it for their own benefit and then themselves as in, in favor of trans inclusion. That's, that's my only possible interpretation of what, what came out of the IOC. Now, what happens next is really interesting because the situation that we are now learning about in that university is extremely volatile. There have been a number of reports in the last week of how Leah Thomas's teammates are deeply unhappy with this because they are being not just beaten, they are being absolutely annihilated in swimming events by Leah Thomas, who's alleged to have said things about how easy it is and cruising and so on. The coach has been alleged to have said that he's just care, he just cares about winning. And the university has now received, not surprisingly, number of complaints from parents of children and the, the girls who swim against Thomas in the same team, mind you, saying that they're unhappy about the situation, imploring the NCAA to change the rules. I want to make a couple of points on that because I've seen some interesting discussion. The first thing is no one involved in that situation can honestly be looking at this and saying this is, this is okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knows there's something not quite right here. But the problem is they're all incentivized to ignore their own perceptions of what may be wrong. So the coach, for instance, is probably incentivized to perform in terms of bonuses, in terms of certainly ensuring that he keeps his employment if the team and the swimmers do well. And so Leah Thomas offers him a real dilemma, a real uh, perverse incentive to ignore the, the opinion of the other swimmers because he's, only, he's doing what he's rewarded for. So you, we've created a system it doesn't exactly empower individuals to do the right thing. The other thing is a number of people have said that the other woman should really just refuse to compete. I understand why people would say that because I think so many people are exasperated, so many people are frustrated, and they're basically throwing their hands in the air and saying, you know what, we give up. There's only one way left, and that's to boycott women's sport. So I get that, but I also think that we don't always realize what that means for these women when they do it. You know, the loss of racing opportunities, competitive opportunities, and all the things that follow those, it's, it represents a massive risk. And until there's a critical mass, I can't see that happening. So I think we should put our energies, and, and certainly my message to those swimmers would be to put their energies into raising awareness and pushing back on the policy. Because you see, this thing doesn't happen on the pool deck. It doesn't happen in the selection. Even Leah Thomas, who you can certainly argue knows that there's an advantage there and she's gaining this enormous advantage, she's the manifestation of the problem. The problem lies at the top. The problem lies, as I mentioned before, in administrators and scientists and lawyers potentially who have come in and said that this is how it needs to be and who have not recognized either the science, the biology, 
all the voices of the women who are affected by this and who deserve a protected place in sport. There is another thing that I wanted to, to, to mention, and I, I hope that I can do this justice because it's a nuanced point. So please forgive me if it comes across clumsily. I've seen a number of people saying, and one of the girls was quoted in a news piece saying that it's impossible to beat Leah Thomas. The, the thing is, it may not be for any individual, but it'll take Katie Ledecky to do it, right? So it'll take one of the great swimmers in the world, one of the top potentially 10, 15 swimmers in the world, because it's, it might be that Leah Thomas right now is dominating, but when the, when the global competition opens up, she's ranked 15th or whatever it is in the world. Uh, who knows? And so when we say something like it's impossible to compete against Leah Thomas, and then a biological female comes along and beats her, there are people in bad faith who will say, you see, you can beat her if you just train hard enough and you're good enough. And then we're in the same situation of having to explain to people why you can't judge the presence of an advantage based on the outcome of a sports event. Any more than you can decide that if I rode the Tour de France with an engine in my bicycle and I still finished last, we're eliminated on the third stage, you wouldn't conclude that my engine doesn't give me an advantage, right? Because you can only assess advantage within self. So me without the engine, me with the engine, that's the comparison. In the same way that Will Thomas without testosterone suppression, Will Thomas with testosterone suppression, i.e. Leah Thomas, that's the comparison. And what you clearly see there is a very slight decrement, which might, in fact, <laughs> by the time we get to March, may actually be a, a, an improvement in performance, as in women's swimming compared to men's. That's how crazy this is. So I would, I would urge people not to make sweeping generalizations that reinforce a concept that is actually erroneous. So, so the idea that Leah Thomas only has an advantage when winning is the thing that we must avoid hanging our hats on in this debate. That advantage exists whether or not Thomas wins NCAA's World's Olympics. And the more people say, this is unfair because nobody can beat Leah Thomas. The more fuel that may provide for what is actually a bad argument in the future. I hope I hope that that's come across um, come across appropriately. So, in any event, I I don't even know how to wrap this up because it's not going to be wrapped up. It is at this moment in time. It is such a volatile situation in that particular case. And that's the teammates. Imagine what this looks like when national titles are won and potentially it has a bearing on the performances of other prestigious sports swimming schools and the athletes who have invested their lives. I mean, Pennsylvania is not the greatest swim school in the USA. There are others who will go to those championships expecting wins and they won't get them. And then this thing actually then becomes even more controversial and hostile and volatile. And so I don't see... I don't see actually a good outcome to this. It's um, I don't think I don't think there are any winners. That said, and again, this is nuanced, and I hope it doesn't come across as callous. This is this is kind of the thing that is required in this debate to make people sit up and take notice, because as I mentioned, it has been far too easy for people to say, "Hey, you think they have an advantage? Show me the evidence." Where are the winners? Where are the champions? Where are the Olympic athletes who are dominating these sports? 
And now all of a sudden we have one and people will say, actually, you know, people who before might have been sitting on the fence will say, actually, maybe you've got a point here. Maybe we need to rethink this. So in some respects, there is a silver lining here. It's almost it's almost like it's a, it's a bad dose of medicine that people have to take in order to wake up. <laughs> um, it's just unfortunate the med that this medicine has such side effects for the poor swimmers who in the interim have to be exposed to this level of unfairness. But I, but I do think this was a predictable and maybe necessary consequence of the failure of good decision making that has punctuated this debate for many years. Last thought, speaking of good decision-making, there was an article in The Guardian by Sean Ingle uh, towards the middle of this week in which The Guardian had obtained an email that was sent by Richard Budget in 2003. Budget, for those who don't know, is now the chief medical officer of the International Olympic Committee. And so in theory, the, the IOC's policy on transgender athletes stops with him. As I said to you, I, I suspect strongly that he <laughs> handed with the IOC handed that policy over to an advocacy group and a couple of individuals who were looking after themselves. But nevertheless, Budget is the IOC's medical head. And in 2003, he was with the British Olympic Committee and he wrote a, an email which said the following, and I'm reading it. The effect of allowing male transsexuals to compete as women would be to make competition unfair and potentially dangerous in some sports and would undermine women's sports. Now, that's 18 years ago. You can think about that as a hypothesis, because 18 years ago, we didn't have certainly as much evidence from well-conducted longitudinal studies that explored this question. So if Richard Budget was making a hypothesis in 20, 2003, 18 years ago, we now have enough evidence with which to evaluate that hypothesis. And the answer, resoundingly, is in fact that Budget is correct. Because I've mentioned to you, there are now dozens, well, just over a dozen studies that have looked at what happens in males when they take testosterone suppressing medication. And I've explained to you now, I'm not going to repeat it, but it, it, it leaves a lot of the advantage behind. So Richard Budget is 100% correct in 2003. Remarkably, the policy of 2021, 18 years later, was not merely to accept that the previous 2015 version was okay, but they actually doubled down on it. They've now said that you don't even need to lower your testosterone levels, and sport no longer needs to be concerned about testosterone as it facilitates this question around inclusion of trans women into women's sports. So having had, it's, it's astonishing to think that having had a hypothesis effectively confirmed by the research we have available, the decision that was made was not to act on what that hypothesis necessitates, but in fact, to go against it. And that's how you know that this issue has, in effect, been captured. Um, the other way you know it, and this is a point I will not stop making, is you will read about how women are being silenced when they want to raise their concerns and anxieties and objections to the situation. Already we've discovered and learned that the university officials are telling the swimmers in Leah Thomas's team that they should not comment to the media, they should keep their opinions to themselves. The latest report says that they are providing mental health service to help people navigate this issue, as though the women who have every right to swim in women's events somehow now have to seek psychological help because what, they're not winning? Is that what the university thinks it's doing? Is, is it facilitating interventions for what they, they deem to be the people who are losing? 
it's a it's a ridiculous situation and it's unfortunately all part of what is entirely predictable when you start to overlook that sport is about biology the biology says x and you've gone in direction y that's the problem and so all of this is simply the manifestation of something that has happened higher up and unfortunately women have been let down and are now being told to keep quiet there was a group recently save women's sports who protested at a sports event in the US and if you look on social media they are being absolutely attacked by everyone for being hateful transphobic and that's unfortunately the tone of the conversation it's um it's very toxic and very unpleasant but as i said very necessary so that's my thoughts um i don't know if i've kept my word and kept this to our shortest podcast ever as far as bonus episodes go certainly as far as full length ones but that's not what this was um so that's i let me finish like this is i would much rather have finished 2021 with a look back on the year and yes it would have included some discussion about the transgender issue because that's arguably the biggest controversy around sports science in the world right now but there's so much other stuff to talk about even unpleasant stuff like covid and vaccinations and infections and risks to health in athletes like the olympic games that went off this year like uh head injuries in rugby that's a topic to discuss i mean there's just an endless list that exists in my mind and it wants to escape onto a podcast and i just need to understand and figure out a way to make that happen better for you so let me let me wrap that up and i hope that's not too negative a note and too repetitive a note but let me wrap it up with a commitment that i'm i'm trying hard to find a way to make this work better I am super grateful to everyone who has listened to us and me in the last 12 months. 2021's been tough for many reasons, personal, professional. And lost my train of thought there, apologies. I hope so sorry, I was going to say that a number of you shared um with me your Spotify lists where we came out as your number one podcast. I'm enormously honored by that so thank you very much a for listening and b for sharing that those of you who did uh, it means a lot and i hope that that is the case also in 2022 um i hope that you're all racing towards a well deserved holiday i hope you've had a successful year thanks once again for listening and i promise that no matter what iteration it takes i will be back in 2022 in some form and i hope that you will be back with me as we explore the science of sport so merry christmas happy holidays And I hope you and family have a wonderful time off to wrap up the year. Ciao. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.